Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, I have big news for the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. I just signed on with a network called the Zedia Network, and it's going to be a game changer for the podcast. They have access to a lot of agents and pro athletes and college athletes and NFL analysts. So I'm going to end up getting a few NFL players on the show. We're in talks with a couple of the active Bengals right now. So as my relationship with this company grows, you're going to see the podcast get better and better. So it's a good thing for everybody. Really excited to be aboard, and I just can't wait to get started. This is the first episode on the Zedia Network. And you can find them on Twitter, at Zedia Network. And Zedia is basically the word media, only with a Z. So one of the first guests that the ZD Network has presented me with is a gentleman called Chad Forbes. He's a powerhouse NFL and college football analyst. We're going to be interviewing him later on the show today, and I just can't wait for you to hear his knowledge of the game and his takes on things. And as always, we're going to have Tom McLevy on for a McLevy Minute. Sands is going to be back for some more football analysis. And Seb Talk Sports is going to be a recurring guest as well. So the regular crew is all still going to be here but we're going to add in some other guests as time goes by. And from what they're telling me, I may have a current Cincinnati Bengal on the next episode. I don't want to promise anything without it being set in stone, but it's looking pretty good. So be on the lookout for that. I'll announce it as soon as it becomes official. I'd like to thank our sponsor, at Bengals Highlights on Instagram. And again, I'd like to give thanks to Zedia for taking me on board. It's going to be a good ride, and it's going to be a lot of good entertainment for everybody. The unofficial Bengals podcast is brought to you by the Zedia Network. All right, before we bring in Chad Forbes, I wanted to run down a few recent Bengals headlines. Bengals headlines. I would say the first big headline is that we signed all the rookies, which is a great thing. I know Higgins came in kind of at the midnight hour, and Burrow came in a little bit later. What an iconic photo of him signing the contract. There was a couple photos that came out of that shoot. The one where he has the mask on and he's signing... You also have him sitting in the office with the Bengals helmet and all the Bengals stuff around him. So it's, it's cool stuff. Definitely iconic. And I can almost see them posting those pictures in a few years when he leads us to a Super Bowl, kind of like a young Joe Burrow. And he does look pretty young in those pictures. So either way, very excited about that. Now I have a theory why it took so long for Burrow to sign. Obviously, the first pick in the draft, that contract's going to be a little more complex than the average contract, and especially if it's a quarterback. But I think that he was kind of waiting for everyone to get into camp and get tested first. Sounds a little crazy, but why would he want to come in with all the other rookies? You know, we we all know that Kendall Futrell already had a positive test. So, you know, imagine if Burrow was online behind him when they they came to report. So I think it was a, a strategic move on his part to not come in right away, let everything play out, let everyone get tested, and then he signs, comes aboard, and now he's ready to go without much exposure And the other cool thing was that he actually had a long conversation with Peyton Manning. So he's talking to the right people. And what does he come out of that saying? That he's going to save all of his contract money and just live off the marketing money. That's a really mature thought and a great idea. Hope hope he's able to stick to that, and that'll really bode well for his financial future. And he should be set up for life if he he abides by that. Definitely something that you want to hear out of your quarterback as opposed to I'm going to go out and buy a Lamborghini and go party in you know Rio for a month. So he's everything that I've wanted up to this point. And again, that's my theory on why it took him a little bit to sign. Just wanted to make sure that everything was clear before he actually stepped foot in the facility. 
Okay, the next thing on the list that's a headline to me is the physically unable to perform list, the PUP list. There's a couple guys on there. A couple guys surprised me. I wasn't really abreast of who was going to get put on it. And so let's go over the names briefly. Alex Redman. I think he's still nursing that shoulder bicep injury from last year. So, um, you know, we're going to lose some depth at guard there until he comes back. I'm not sure the severity of it. And then Damian Willis surprisingly came up on the pup list. I'm not sure what's going on with him, but it's going to hurt his chance of making the active roster. He definitely has a spot on the practice squad, but if he's going to be on the pup list and miss a few weeks, it could really hurt him busting into that top six in which he was kind of a long shot for already. The one that kind of upset me, and I guess we all kind of knew it was coming, is the Rodney Anderson. I'm so pulling for this guy. I can't wait to get him healthy and in the lineup. So obviously he wasn't fully recovered from the knee injury from last year, which scares me a little bit, let's be honest, due to his injury history. And then two rookies popped up on the list, and there were guys that had injuries in college anyway. Khalid Kareem, and then a fan favorite, Marcus Bailey. Now since... He was put on the list. Marcus Bailey was actually taken off the list because he passed his physical. But out of all these guys, I think he's the one that I would want to see on the list. He just came off an injury from last year. Starting caliber linebacker from every from what everyone's saying, aside from that injury. So I kind of wanted him to take like an apprentice year and just sit back and learn, get healthy, and then come back next year really strong. So the fact that he passed his physical is a good sign. So we'll see where everything goes from there with him. We can sure use the linebackers, let's be real. All right, on to the COVID front. Not my favorite topic to talk about, but definitely something that you can't ignore in these times. So one interesting player that opted out is Larry Warford. I know a lot of Bengals fans wanted us to sign him. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with him next year. Isaiah Prince opted out of playing this year. You have to respect everyone's opinion. I don't know if he has underlying medical conditions or he has concerns about his family. But if he doesn't want to play and he thinks it's in his best interest not to play, don't play, Isaiah. I'm, I'm behind you on that. Now, what's going on with Isaiah, I'm not positive that Prince would have made the active roster. I think he would have been more of a practice squad player. So opting out is not really going to hurt him financially, and he will get that accrued year. So we'll see what happens with him down the road. Good luck, and we'll see you in training camp next year, Isaiah. And the big one is Josh Tupo. First year in the league, I wasn't that crazy about him. Last year, he had a good year, and I was looking forward to getting him into this rotation. And he's opting out. And again, that's his right. I don't begrudge him anything. And uh, hopefully he'll be back in the fold. The problem is with them cutting Glasgow, which is another shame because he just couldn't stay healthy. And he had good snaps when he was in there. You know, he showed that he had the strength and the size and the physicality to play the game. Yeah, he's not going to be an Aaron Donald, but he definitely was someone that I was looking forward to having in the rotation, him and Tupo. I was like, you know, we have some solid depth to rotate in with those two guys. Now that they're both gone, we're scrambling a little bit. Andrew Brown is a three technique, but remember, Tupo's a one, you know, like a nose tackle type. So you can say Andrew Brown can slide inside, but he doesn't quite play the same position. Rennell Wren is going to get a very good look at that position, and it's, it's actually good for him that these two guys are gone because it's going to move him up the ladder. And, you know, he was someone we all had a lot of hopes for, and didn't really shine last year, but with an extended role this year and a year wiser and a year stronger, let's hope that he's a good player for us. And the other pure nose tackle that they say is Trey Dishon, an undrafted rookie, which I don't know much about, but he's going to get a look now. If they don't have enough pure nose tackles, that could open the door for an undrafted free agent like that. And then you have Freedom Akinmoladun. 
The thing about him which makes me think he may have a shot at the roster is he was working out with Sam Hubbard, and I believe he's in that photo where Joe Burrow's looking all jacked up, and it's Burrow, Sam Hubbard, and Akin Muladun. So that bodes well that he's at least hanging out with the right people, and he's got the body to play in the NFL. Again, not a nose tackle type, but a defensive tackle in a rotation that's a little bit short right now. They're talking about bringing Peko back. I'm for it. Truthfully, I know he doesn't have a ton left in the tank, but he's an iconic Bengal. He's a leader. I'm sure he can give you some snaps on the inside and clog the middle. You know, he's again, he's not going to be a game-breaker, but, you know, when Reeder and Atkins and Wren need a spell, you bring in somebody like that, I don't think he's going to hurt you in there. I'm looking forward to that. We're, we're going to see. I get the feeling that they're going to bring in some veteran defensive tackle. I don't know if it's going to be Pecco or someone else, but look for them to do that in the upcoming weeks. And then the last headline for now is they signed a quarterback and a kicker-slash-punter, Brandon Allen and Tristan Vizcaino. Tom McLevy's going to talk about them a little more in his segment, so I'm not going to get into these guys too much right now. The one thing that alarmed me about Brandon Allen was he had a 46.4 completion percentage. That's really low. But I didn't see the three games that he played. I don't know the circumstances surrounding it. You would like to see that number a lot higher than that. But we don't know. He played under Taylor with the Rams as a backup, so he knows the system. Maybe Taylor knows some things about him that we don't know, and maybe he can contribute this year. And again, there's the whole thing with stockpiling quarterbacks in case there's some kind of catastrophe and you lose a couple of them. And the kicker, uh, Vizcaino, was in camp last year, and he did well. You know, he didn't do enough to beat out Bullock, but he's got a good leg. And the thing that intrigues me is he's a kicker, who also punts. So again, if you're in this catastrophe situation on special teams, you might have this one guy that can fill two roles. Hopefully it'll never come down to that. But I see the logic in signing both of these guys. So we'll see what they bring. All right, that's enough of me talking. I'm really, really excited for this next guest. His name is Chad Forbes. You can find him on Twitter at NFL Draft Bites. And he is an excellent, excellent sports analyst. He knows so much about the pro game and the college prospects. You're going to learn a lot listening to this guy. He's entertaining. It's going to be a good time. I can't wait to see the answers that he comes up with to these questions that I'm about to throw at him. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome NFL analyst Chad Forbes. All right, we're here with Chad Forbes. Chad, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? All right, man. Things are going pretty well. So let's get right down to business. Out of the Bengals that were drafted, we can all assume that Burrow and Higgins are going to be good players down the road. But what about in the guys they took from rounds three to seven? Are there any standouts in that bunch? I liked what the Bengals did on, I guess, day three of the draft with the two linebackers, that being such a glaring need. And Logan Wilson and Akeem Davis Gates are kind of deviated from the Bengals' philosophy of the past, going with the small school route. And they got highly instinctive Wilson. I think should compete at middle linebacker with Josh Barnes pretty quickly. And then Davis Gaither, if he can get up to speed coming out of App State and really just kind of find his rhythm in the NFL, which isn't easy for a small school guy, he can be your starter on the weak side pretty quickly. So really like what they did there. And then energy from Kansas, I always like when you get another lineman. And, you know, with the opt-outs that just happened with Isaiah Prince, they clearly adding a guy who's played tackle, could probably shift inside the guard. His versatility will be a big benefit. And then Marcus Bailey, is just, I, I thought that was a really good pick in the late rounds there. They get a guy who's injured. Obviously starting the season on the pup and uh, bringing him along slowly. But for the seventh round, you're really going for flyers. And 
I just like the way that they flooded the zone with the linebacker position being such a glaring need. Chad, you know what? I agree with those takes. One thing that did worry me, and you did touch on it just now, is they took some of these small school linebackers. So I was a little worried when they grabbed Logan Wilson out of Wyoming in the third round. Should I be concerned about that? You know, Logan Wilson, I had him kind of in the fourth or fifth round, I would say, throughout the process. And then people that I know that really trust it kept saying, you got to look more at Logan Wilson. I said, well, he's a little bit overage, meaning he's going to be a 24-year-old rookie, and there's some knocks on him in terms of just, as you said, the small school. But then you start to watch him on tape, and you say, this is a really good player. Now, you're not going to confuse him for a you know first-round linebacker, but I think at the position, what you're looking for is somebody that's consistent and gets the job done. And that's what he showed the ability to do at Wyoming. And then Davis Gaither, what you like about him is they had him down at the Senior Bowl. So the staff got to really know him, and they, they kind of signed off on him. And he's a guy, throughout the process, you just kept hearing that you know, he might be the next Darius Leonard, who was a linebacker the Colts took from South Carolina State who turned into a pro bowler and an all-pro. So there's some optimism on both players around the league, not only in the Bengals building. So, Chad, a lot of people are concerned about Alex Erickson. I personally like him. I think he's had a lot of good years of service with us. I think he's been a little underutilized. Do you think he's going to be able to fend off Michael Thomas and Stanley Morgan? Michael Thomas comes over from the Rams, so he's going to know the system, which will be beneficial in this bridged offseason with no offseason activities. And then Stanley Morgan, Auden Tate, there's other wide receivers in there that will be competing for reps. I'm a huge Alec Erickson fan. I've heard for years him in trade chatter. The Patriots guys have seemed to always like him. So I always think when you hear that, it piques your interest to keep watching the player. And he does such a good job in the return game, him and Brandon Wilson kind of going with the punt and kick return. So there's a big, you know, he does contribute on special teams. And I think he really just needs an expanded role. So if he can find that and maybe beat out T. Higgins and Auden Tate for reps, because he can always push Tyler Boyd into the slot. And if it, there's a lot to be worked out at wide receiver at this point. So I do think Erickson makes the roster, and it's really just a question on where his role is. And, and that's really going to apply for all these wide receivers competing for reps. So, Chad, let's move on to the running back position. Do Samaje Perrine and Jacquez Patrick have a shot at making the roster now that Rodney Anderson went on the PUP list? They're probably going to carry four running backs on opening day, and three will probably be on the active roster, one to the practice squad. You can always carry four and then one on the practice squad if you've got an injury issue atop your depth chart. There's no position in the NFL where the guy you can get in the sixth round is probably equally as talented as the one you'll pick up as an undrafted free agent. And somebody told me something in the past where these running backs, they're all so talented if if you're smart and you stick to the big schools of the big-time recruits for big high school programs. So a guy like Jacquez Patrick coming out of Florida State, spent all the time with the Tampa Bay Viper, he's a big kid. He's got a chance to make the roster. And you know, the three Oklahoma kids from Mixon to P. Ryan, you got Rodney Anderson, Trayvon, it's a really talented group of young players. And I even think of Giovanni Bernard, if, if one of these young guys really beats them out for that second spot behind uh, Mixon, why not save you over $3 million in cap room? So I think you got to approach it as it's being wide open competition and uh, let, the, kind of let it all sort itself out. Uh, come the uh, preseason camp. Wow, that's an interesting take because I just figured Bernard was a given to make the team, but now that you talk about it that way, it makes me think that he possibly could get pushed. Yeah, I think the financial dynamics change a little bit when you're starting to project in a $175 million cap for next year down from most teams are projecting it to be up to 210, 215. So you start to say, do we want to you know, go with Bernard? at you know three and a half million dollars or do we want to save that money and try to roll it forward into 2021 and that's money that can be you know reallocated to potentially a joe mixon extension and his role last year was a bit diminished especially when mixon was healthy so if one of these young guys steps up i think it'd be travion williams out of out of the group but you know jock patrick could surprise you or maybe rodney anderson comes off the pup and 
carves out a role for himself. Um, let's move on to the linebacker position. So I'm, I'm assuming at the bottom of the roster, fighting for the sixth spot, we're going to have Josh Evans, Austin Calitro, and Marcus Spears Jr. I don't really know much about Calitro or Spears. Can you shed some light on those guys? Yeah, I've got nothing on Spears. Calitro has bounced around a little bit. Good special teams guy. He can play all three spots, which is helpful. He's really the type that you'd expect to fit in as like a sixth or seventh linebacker. Still could end up on the practice squad. I think what, it, what they do at linebacker in their base package Versus what they do in the sub is going to be really interesting, how they kind of interchange. Von Bell, who they brought in for some pretty big money from New Orleans, and they still got Sean Williams back there at safety. One of them is probably going to be more of a box linebacker, kind of the weak side guy. And then Josh Bynes, could he start at middle linebacker as Logan Wilson beat him out? So I, I like what they did bring in Bynes because he knows the system and he's got the familiarity with the new linebacker coach. But I really do think they want to see one of these young kids kind of rise to the surface, whether it's Pratt, Logan Wilson, Akeem Davis, Gaither, and say, I'm ready to start, and then that moves Josh Bynes to more of a reserve role. And the deal they've got Bynes on, he'll make the roster because it's not a huge number, but it's non-guaranteed, $1.65 million. So they've got some flexibility there, and I still could see them going out and adding a piece if, you know, for some instance, this kid, the kids don't come along as much as they'd anticipated with no offseason and kind of an abridged training camp. That There's always going to be some linebackers out on the street that can play in the NFL. While we're on the defense, let's talk about what's going on at defensive tackle. So Glasgow didn't pass his physical it looks like Tupo is going to be sitting out the year because of uh, COVID concerns. What do you think they're going to do to fill in that role? You know, it's interesting because when you look at it too deep and you say, what happens if Reeder or Atkins goes down? There's not much behind him. Do you have in Rennell Wren or Andrew Brown? I'm not necessarily sure they've done enough to, to justify uh, having any faith in them to get meaningful reps on the interior. An undrafted guy I really liked out of Georgia was Tyler Clark, and that, that just fits my philosophy back to running back. Of, you know, these guys have played some meaningful, meaningful snaps at big-time programs like Georgia, they've got a chance to come in and surprise you. And we've seen it across the league over the last two or three years, like these unheralded SEC players who end up going undrafted. It's like, oh, you look up week 16, you say the kids played 30 40% of the snaps. So I think Tyler Clark could be that guy. And then if you're going out and looking for veteran depth at this point with you know a Tupu opting out, you can always find a veteran run stopper. It's hard to find a veteran pass rusher. So keeping Atkins and Reeder healthy and playing you know, 70% of the snaps is obviously pivotal to this defense improving in 2020. One last question about the defense. What about this Winston Rose guy that came over from Canada? I, I heard he led the league in interceptions a couple of years. I guess there's a little excitement that he might crack the roster for one of those last corner spots. Yeah, he looks like he's more the size of a nickel. He played a lot of off coverage up in Canada, so it really depends on what they want to do outside. Trey Waynes and William Jackson look like the starters to me. Alexander is going to be in the nickel. Sean Sims is interesting because he can either catch on to the roster or he, maybe he gets traded or and then McTire and they've got that's actually a position they've got some pretty good depth at and even back to safety the defensive back group is uh, is a lot better than where it was a year ago. Yeah, that's going to be important for their success is having a good secondary and obviously a good pass rush. So Chad, I went through your Twitter feed and I saw a few things that interested me. I was hoping that you could elaborate on a couple things. One is the whole left tackle versus right tackle debate. What what are your thoughts on that? You look around the league, and teams are moving their best pass rushers around. And if you have a weakness, either at the right or left side, or even in the interior, the good defensive coordinators are going to get their best guy lined up over your weakest. So the right tackle and left tackle have become interchangeable. You can just like look at the AFC West, where right on the on the left end, so over the right tackle, you're going to see you know the two Bosa brothers, or you'll see Bosa, you see Khalil Mack over there. So guys come off the right tackle are just as good as the weak side pass rushers. And, what I've seen over the last kind of two to three years with these young quarterbacks is sometimes their primary read isn't opened. 
right? Even in a situation like Joe Burrow had last year at LSU where they're, they're trying to get five guys out into the route, if there wasn't somebody necessarily opened after a couple primary reads, he had a clock in his head that said, regardless of what's going on at left tackle, I'm going to start to move right. I'm going to be moving towards my dominant hand because I can keep more of a, a vision on the field. So I saw it last year with Daniel Jones. I see it at Burrow in college. I think these right-handed quarterbacks, and obviously I think every starter in the league at this point is a right-handed guy, they drift to the right. So it's almost more advantageous to have your best pass rusher over on the right side rather than the left because it's just more natural for them to keep seeing the field moving there. So I think the kind of differentiation between right and left tackle and how they're paid Historically, you pay your left tackle significantly more, and we've seen that gap narrow. Lane Johnson with the Eagles became the highest paid tackle in the league for a time. Now it's obviously Larry Tonsil, so it's moved back to left tackle. But you got to really have two good tackles. It's all about not having to give a tackle help. So you want to have two good ones. Obviously, you know the Bengals are going to have Bobby Hart out there, which should be uh, should be another, I guess, uh, interesting year. But uh, Jonah Williams hopefully comes along and can solidify left tackle. Well, you know, that's a creative take on that. A lot of people just assume that the left tackle is going to be your main guy. But when you bring up those points and how the league is trending, you know, that theory definitely makes sense to me. All right, so there was another thing on your Twitter feed that I thought was really interesting. You, you mentioned there was like two camps, I guess an old school versus a new school. And I wanted to see where you sat on this. Some people say, hey, we need a veteran running back to help protect in pass protection. Or I'm just going to get five guys out, in the, out into the route no matter what. Where, where do you fall in that debate and why? Well, I think the analytics, I call them the analytics community in football, are guys that have a good idea who think it's the only right idea rather than realizing that you got to mesh together what analytics say with you know, how football functions. So, sure, you know, if you're on third and four or third and five and you're trying to run crossers, maybe you don't need five guys out in the route. Maybe you can leave the back end to protect. And it's really incumbent upon that running back's coach to, to coach these young guys and teach them how to pass block, right? And ultimately, you, know, you look at, like, Joe Brady coming from LSU with, you know, the team that wins, their their view on football tends to spread like wildfire across the football landscape. The LSU team was all about getting five guys out into routes, right? You look at the, the Chiefs. They want to get five guys out, and they want to give Mahomes all the options in the world, and then they want to figure out a way to scheme up the protection, and that normally involves, you know, each chip or giving one of their tackles a little bit of help. But, you know, I think it's all differentiation based on, you know, down and distance what you want to do. And I think if you're the Bengals, for example, like, You've got to be thinking, we need to get five out in the space. And, and that's why they drafted a guy like T. Higgins, even though they've got some good wide receivers, is because they recognize that they're going to need a bunch of wide receivers that can go out there, and you're going to see a de-emphasis on the tight end. And uh, they're ultimately going to need tackles that can hold up one-on-one. So, Chad, regarding people opting out this season, there's, there's, two, there's two questions that I wanted to ask you on this. First, you made a post about if you're going to get one last payday, you know, like one more big year of pay, you said you either take 50-50 for 2020, you run that risk, or grabbing 90% that you're going to get your money in 2021. Can you expand on that philosophy? There's uncertainty about whether a complete season will be paid. And the way it works is if you have any guaranteed money, it rolls forward into 2021. The issue is a lot of these base salaries aren't guaranteed. The things that were guaranteed were the roster bonuses. So some guys could say, say you're making you know, $6 million, or eight, say you're making $8 million to make the math easy, but it's non-guaranteed. The only thing that was guaranteed was your, was your bonus, your roster bonus. You could have a situation where you pay two games and you end up losing $7 million of that non-guaranteed base salary. So for certain guys, like, like for example, Tupu just opted out, right? His $2.33 million wouldn't have been guaranteed. It would have been guaranteed on a week-to-week basis. So for some guys, it makes more sense to just say, let me kick it down the road a year and make sure the season gets completed rather than going into this 
you know, season where who knows, maybe it could end after two weeks. Yeah, I think you have a great point there. And to expand on that, let's take someone like Isaiah Prince, who just decided that he wasn't going to play this year. I, I don't know if he was going to make the roster. He may have been a practice squad player, which is the $8,000 a week. Do you think guys on the bubble like that are making business decisions saying, you know what, if I opt out, I'm going to get the 175 If I opt in, I'm only going to get the 136 Or uh, am, I, am I on target with that? Or how, do you, how do you feel about that? I think a lot of guys that had uncertainty about making a roster look at that 175000 stipend and say, this is great, and then I can come back. Isaiah Prince is still a young player, 23 years old. I can come back next year and try to make the roster, right? So it makes sense, for I guess, for Isaiah Prince to an extent. If I were his agent, I'd say opt in and try to get the extra year of, you know, accrued towards free agency. So he probably made a decision based on, you know, his health and concerns about what's going on with the virus. Chad, this was excellent. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. My account is at NFL Draft Bites, and uh, try to cover the NFL draft and then just football talk all year long. So uh, just give me a follow, and uh, we'll talk some football, Bengals or otherwise. Yeah, loving it. I was all over your Twitter feed. There's so many interesting points on there. Thanks again for coming on, man. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you, and love to do it again sometime. McLeavy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLeavy. Tom, how are you today? Good, Frankie. How you doing, buddy? All right. Everything's going well. Good, good. Uh, just uh, start off, I'd like to give an, an RIP for uh, Ricky Dixon, a real great, great Bengal. You know, it's a shame that he developed that Lou Gehrig's disease. You know, really took a toll on on his family. Just wanted to say that to, you know, rest in peace. I hear you on that. You know, he was a great Bengal, and thank you for paying homage to him. All right, so let's get started with the topics at hand. So the Bengals recently signed a quarterback and a punter kicker. It was Brandon Allen and Tristan Vizcayano. What are your thoughts on those two guys? The quarterback's very interesting. It sort of gives you a sense of what they think about Ryan Finley. He knows the system. So very interesting on the quarterback and, and, the, and the kicker. Well, like you say, the, this pandemic... You know, what happens if Sunday morning Joe Burrow wakes up feeling symptoms? They just got to now get a quarterback in there or a kicker. I think those are really the two positions that you need a guy that does that. A punter, you can work a, a wide receiver, a running back, a tight end that they can punt during practices just in case they got a spot punt. Punting, you can get away with. But a kicker, you know, to bang out a a 40-yarder, you need a specialist for that. So they have to be prepared if, you know, somebody wakes up that morning, that week, they have the symptoms that they have to get a guy in there in a hurry to get going for a Sunday game. This virus is showing us how these teams have to prepare for just in case that scenario happens. Joey Votto just woke up with uh, the COVID symptoms on Sunday morning before the game. But baseball is a little different. You can get guys, the Reds have a one guy, Farmer, he's a backup shortstop and he's uh, a backup catcher too. They could get around around that in the baseball 
perspective just in case they have a guy that, that has the symptoms. But the football specialist is a unique situation that they'd have to uh, be prepared for specifically for a quarterback or a, um, a kicker that comes down with the virus. Yeah, Tom, you know, you and I were talking earlier about how baseball has a taxi squad of guys they can kind of bring in, aside from pitchers, you know, and even a catcher might be a little uh, a little of a rarity in baseball as, as yeah. being like the two specialists. But um, yes. re- regarding football, you're right. You know, you when you have a kicker and a quarterback, that's a special thing that you need to be able to practice. And, you know, the other positions you can, like we had talked about, you can bring in guys off the street if you really had to, right? Um, running exactly. back, wide receiver. Exactly. For excuse me, I'm sorry, Frank. For the baseball, if you notice, they're drafting guys and starting them in their minor leagues to play multiple positions. No more up. Oh, he's a left fielder. Keep him in left field. They are drafting guys that are infielders in college or high school and making and making them play in the outfield to get that rover ability per se to be able to play multiple positions like you said uh, offensive linemen they switch between guard tackle center that's the way the front offices in these sports teams are thinking that they need guys to fill multiple positions Wow, Tom. Excellent takes as always. I mean, this is a, a pretty crazy time in our in our world and we're I guess we're starting to see the trickle down effect in athletics. Tom, thanks again for everything. No problem, Frank. I'll talk to you soon. X's and O's with Sans. All right, we're here with Sans. Sans, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? All right, man. So we were talking last week about what makes an offensive lineman great, and I thought that the bench press would be like a major factor in that, and I know you had a differing opinion on that. Can you elaborate on, on that? Yeah, no problem. Um, the bench press, it has its uses, and one thing it can do is to see how much of a workout warrior type an offensive lineman is because if they can do a bunch of bench reps that means they're in the gym they're working out but it doesn't mean that they're going to be able to handle strength from somebody else when they get a bull rush from somebody just pounding into them what really helps you more is your ankle flexibility your ankle strength and your core to maintain your position and not get pushed backwards and completely on your back even if you remember russell bodine he did like 39 reps on the bench press and he was the only guy on our offensive line that got blown back every snap Wow, Sans, that's interesting stuff. I never really even thought about ankle strength. So with that said, what do you think about the current Bengals offensive line and their strengths and weaknesses? Going through each one, starting with left tackle Jonah Williams, I watched a bit of him in college. I think he's very he's athletic. He gets to the second level or the linebackers really well. He's probably already the best on the team at double teaming, whether it's a deuce, which is the guard and tackle, or a tray, which is the tight end and tackle block. And... He's really consistent. The only problem I saw with him was in the national championship game. Quellen Farrell really had his way with them, pushing him off balance. I don't know if he was injured or had some other type of problem or he got blown off one time and it got in his head. But other than that, he was very consistent and probably already looks like our best offensive lineman. Michael Jordan, he's somewhat athletic. He's very raw. He loses his anchor a lot, which is your 
being able to maintain a bull rush. And once you start getting blown back and knocked off balance, you're giving up a lot. You want to maintain your balance at least. You make a guy go around you, it'll take longer than going through you. Trey Hopkins, I liked him. He's a good puller as a center. We used him a lot more than you would think like a normal guard or a tackle pooling. We used Trey a lot to snap the ball and then go pool. So he's pretty athletic, and he really flashed sometimes. He was amazing in week one. I think PFF had him as their center of the week type thing. I don't know too much about Xavier Suofilo. I know that he struggled against Fletcher Cox, which is a problem because we play Fletcher Cox in week three. So we'll see if uh, he gets the better of him in another chance. Bobby Hart is everybody's least favorite, and he's not great. He does have a decent punch if he can land it. He's not really accurate with his hands. He'll miss with his hands, and the guy goes right by him. He'll get pushed onto his back. He has a bad football IQ, to be honest, because I've seen plays where he steps in, he starts helping the guard, and there's T.J. Watt and Mike Hilton coming off the edge and just C.J. Uzama to block him. And uh, Fred Johnson, who I think a lot of people are high on, I think he's pretty good. He's definitely also raw, like Michael Jordan. He could pass off a stunt, which is something I don't know if I've ever seen Bobby Hart do. He's a little bit of a limited athlete. He didn't look great getting to the second level, but he's got a strong punch and be able to really, when he hits somebody, he's able to stay on them. He's got kind of that potential of the unknown, too, because we haven't seen him against too many people. Wow, Sands, that's some pretty intricate takes on these guys. It's definitely stuff that the average fan might not pick up on, but it's, it's valuable stuff to know. You know what, let me hit you with another one while we're on the topic, because I really like him as a lineman, and I heard that they just put him on the, the pup list. What do you think of Alex Redman? I've never been a big fan of Alex Redman. He struggled in his only playing time last year. He struggled in his playing time the year before. I can't even say it's really raw with him. He's been with the team for years. When he's on the field, Trey Hopkins pretty much immediately starts giving him help, and giving him help means that Michael Jordan, who's raw and was basically his first year in the NFL, alone with somebody. So I didn't like that. Not a huge fan, but he's been with the team, and he probably knows a lot about our scheme, so he can help somebody like Xavier Tuafila who's coming in. Wow, Sands, those are some pretty good takes on these guys. Very educational. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said. Everybody's pretty hard on Bobby Hart. What, how are you feeling about that? Yeah, it's not just around our team, too. Brandon Thorne, who's a very good offensive line analyst, he works with Establish the Run, and he has his own podcast. He did, went through every single offensive lineman. And for offensive tackles, there's six tiers. Going from one is the best tiers. You'll get Mitchell Schwartz and Lane Johnson and Ronnie Stanley, those guys. And the only person in the sixth tier was Bobby Hart by himself as the worst offensive tack or right tackle in the league. Wow, that's pretty scary if he's going to be protecting Joe Burrow. Hopefully Fred Johnson can step up and take his spot. I hear you on that. Well, we'll see how everything plays out. Sands, how can people find you on social media? They can find me on Twitter as uh, Bengals underscore Sands. Well, thank you for coming by again, my friend. Thank you for having me. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode, we're going to go over some Bengal headlines again. Tom McLevy's going to be back for another McLevy Minute. And if all goes well, we're going to have a Cincinnati Bengal starter appear on the show for an interview. So stay tuned for that. I'd like to thank our sponsor, at Bengals Highlights on Instagram. And I'd also like to thank at ZDA Network, the new network that I'm on. I'm really excited about it. Check out some of their other shows like Drive the Lane, which is a podcast, and the Browns Huddle Pod for all you Browns fans out there. Again, really excited to be aboard and looking forward to providing some quality entertainment for a long time to come. 
Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.